This is a 3CR community radio podcast. In Psychedelia is broadcast every Sunday from 2pm. For more info on anything you hear in the show, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page. Good afternoon and welcome to Psychedelia for your uh, Sunday afternoon. Pretty warm outside, just had a, had a bit of a walk down to the studios here on, on Smith Street in Collingwood. Um, it was a, a, a nice walk, a bit of a sweaty walk, but um, I hope you're less sweaty wherever you are. Uh, this is Psychedelia, and we do talk all things drugs, uh, uh, from uh, policy and uh, science to... Um, other things, culture and community as well that uh, that goes on around uh, various different psychoactive substances, um, including the ones that you might not often think of as uh, psychoactive substances: alcohol, nicotine, caffeine, even uh, all of these sorts of ones. Um, <clears throat> on this afternoon's program, we have uh, lots coming up. We're going to be speaking uh, some news. We're going to be hearing from one of the uh, one of the uh, headliners at the Entheogenesis Australis 2017 uh, conference uh, in December. Entheo.net for tickets. Uh, we're going to be talking psychedelic science with Dr. Dean Wright, uh, who will be in the studio shortly. Uh, he's also from the Australian Psychedelic Society, where there's a, a bit of news from them uh, as well. And also a short, uh, some short bits um, on Wednesday's meeting in Abbotsford uh, regarding the pill testing and medically supervised injecting centre. And also um, a little bit of uh, news from uh, the Nimbin Hemp Embassy. But we'll jump straight into some news now. Yeah. I don't condone or advocate that everyone should use illicit drugs. I think it's a, a huge decision made with the right amount of research and forethought. The intention is to discourage ICE use. The actual effect is it encourages the stigmatisation of people who use this drug. The risk there is people are less likely to disclose their use even when they're experiencing some issues. So they're less likely to access essential health services. The potential for harm increases. People feel hesitant to be open about who they are because they're afraid of judgment from family members or people at work or, or just people in society in general. Many of them have conservative mindsets regardless of their politics uh, and will just say, oh well, then the, the, the government are not looking after us and therefore it seems as a law and order issue rather than a, a social problem that needs to be dealt with on, on a Drug news from Melbourne and around the world. The Weekend Australian has uh, published, uh, well, some early results from the Wastewater Analysis Program. This is a program set up by the federal government where they've invested $3.6 million into essentially testing our wastewater. Um, probably not a bad idea. Surveys tend to not necessarily uncover exactly what's happening out there in the community. So they're trying to use it to identify um, certain hotspots of problematic drug use and get a bit more of a idea of what's going on. So, you know, just a bit of a snapshot. Um, Australians now consume more methamphetamine than they do cocaine. Probably not surprising. There's a big price differential there. Um, and in most areas outside of um, Sydney and Melbourne, uh, they also consume more methamphetamine than they do MDMA or ecstasy. Um, and there's, you know, a couple of places around Australia that uh, have uh, 
sort of fared badly on things like tobacco consumption. So the Northern Territory um, has a high consumption rate of tobacco, uh, and so do certain regional areas of Queensland. So, um, you know, maybe it's a bit weird for uh, the government to be looking into <laughs> what we flush down our toilets, but mm. from a public health <laughs> point of view, uh, it can maybe help direct some resources to where they're needed. Now, there was an interesting uh, look at the AFL and drugs uh, from four, uh, former footballer, AFL footballer Chris Judd, focusing uh, especially on the commercial factors involved with drug, uh, alcohol and gambling policies at organisations like AFL clubs. He said, so why is there this urgency to change the illicit drugs policy? There is an element of truth in all the reasons put forward by the AFL, but the missing reason, which isn't much spoken about, is the commercial cost the AFL pays if there is a perception that it is soft on drugs. Uh, that uh, article from Chris Judd was in The Age. It's called Illicit Drugs. We need the questions before the answer. And mm. it was an interesting take to hear from a footballer on this and um, what he pinned it on. Yeah, interesting stuff going on. I mean, it's not exactly drug-related in the sense that we normally talk about drugs, but it was um, it was good to see James Hurd, the uh, Essendon coach that was at the middle of the whole drug scandal in terms of performance-enhancing drugs, talking about how that whole saga affected his mental health. I just realised I don't really uh, follow much football or anything like that. We just mentioned two football things. The football started this week, didn't it? It did. Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but unrelated for me. I mean, I, I, I probably couldn't. The, the witch? The girls the, finished. Right. Yeah, they the, had their final the, yesterday. That's right. Yeah. Do you know who Thank won, you, Penny. Penny? Adelaide Crows won. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, also this week, the Therapeutic Goods Administration um, came down with their ruling on a review of nicotine policy. Uh, there was a proposal put forward by the New Nicotine Alliance, uh, an e-cigarette lobby group uh, consisting of doctors and um, ex-smokers that now vape and, you know, people that are fans of uh, e-cigarettes and alternative nicotine consumption as a harm reduction method. And as expected, the TGA has ruled that the current system shall remain in place. Uh, they received, I think it was around 140 submissions yeah, about 70, 87 in favour and 22 opposed. And um, some of the arguments for are that it uh, reduces the harms of smoking, it's a safer way of consuming nicotine, and for some people it's a pathway out of smoking and potentially out of nicotine consumption altogether. Um, arguments from the other side included uh, arguments around accidental poisoning, the, the lack of any really long-term safety studies that, uh, I guess, reach the criteria for that certain conservative scientific uh, medical analysis of them. Um, and also the, the fact that many people consume e-cigarettes and tobacco, therefore possibly negating the, the health benefits. So um, mm. all of that said, I... There's, there's uh, counter, counter arguments to all of those. Uh, from no, the, I agree yeah. completely. I'm just, I'm just laying it <laughs> out as, a, as it was yep. discussed um, by the TGA. Um, so in terms of a legal regulated market here in Australia for e-cigarettes, it looks like it's still a little way away. Still a little way off. Uh, from uh, foodprocessing.com.au, we find all the uh, obscure publications here at Encyclopedia. Uh, this is a this is a specific uh, publication for the food uh, technology manufacturing um, industry, um, and this was over in the US uh, and and in Australia as well. Uh, how, is cannabis consumption affecting your beer sales? Uh, something we talk about a little bit, and it seems an unclear 
uh, relationship at the moment. Uh, but they said, usually when a new product type appears on the marketplace, initial uptake figures are not sustained as some try the product simply for the experience but do not become regular consumers. However, C2G predicts uh, this will not be the case with legalised marijuana as consumers are more invested in the products that they are buying, understanding the potency, strains and form, uh, formats available and its uses for pain management, holistic health and relaxation. Uh, and they were saying that um, in it, that it may affect... Uh, I mean, look, it's one of those things that goes up and down. It, it, it really will depend on people's preferences and how that shifts. And if there is more of a, a, a shift towards uh, something that people, uh, feel, you know... They they feel like they're actually getting something out of it rather than this sort of, uh, you know, the, the wasted in, market. Um, Colorado, because Colorado has a huge microbrew industry. A lot of beers come out of Colorado. So I wonder how that's kind of. There's been a little that. bit of um, uh, talk out of Colorado, and it seems to it's a bit up and down. It's it's some some beer companies seem to be affected or are reporting effects. Mm. Others aren't as much. It depends on you know. How do you correlate those figures? Well, yeah. We've had less sales this season. It could be because it's, I don't know, could be any number of reasons. But mm. I'd say that the cannabis thing is well and truly on their map. Um, so this week, Fiona Patton has finally passed through Parliament that we can uh, submit e-petitions to the yeah. Victorian State Parliament. And I believe the first one is around the Medically Supervised Injecting <laughs> Centre, um, which we can post the details up on the um, Facebook page, uh, so you can find it on social media there. Um, but that kind of makes it a little bit easier for us as citizens to engage with our parliamentarians. We don't need to door knock every house to get a written signature. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, things like your change.org petitions, while they may have presented, you know, a, a compelling curiosity for our parliamentarians, they weren't able to be officially submitted as a formal petition until now. So, um, yeah, get on there and sign up on that one. Uh, the Hemp Embassy in Nimbin, northern New South Wales, are coming into their final weeks of preparation before this year's Mardi Gras, that's two S's, starting on May 5th. This year marks 25 years of celebration for Mardi Gras, which aims to educate people on the various uses of cannabis, uh, medicinal, industrial, recreational and spiritual, and to celebrate the culture that has grown here in Australia over the uh, last 40 years. Uh, members of the Hemp Embassy, including President Michael Borderstone and Miss Guidance, recently returned from a research tip, uh, trip to the US and Canada where they spent some time looking at the new recreational cannabis industries. While in Canada, they visited a number of dispensaries which operate despite the Canadian government dragging its feet on cannabis law reform, uh, and a number of dispensaries are operated by Mark Emery, an international, uh, internationally renowned cannabis law reformer, Canadian politician and long-time activist. Hmm... No? So he no, um, uh, basically... Let's try that again. Mark Emery, who's been a major activist, and he's got a number of stores open now. So he... Um, uh, basically, the uh, Canadian government is indeed talking about um, setting up a legal recreational um, industry in Canada. However, um, that hasn't happened yet. And in fact, they keep um, pushing back the time that they will do it. So the spirit of um, different activists, frontline activists that we met in, um, in, uh, in Vancouver, was very much, this is all taking too long, it's just ridiculous. So people like Mark Emery, I guess, stick their neck out and open, just just start doing, I guess it's like uh, doing what you want the reality to be. <laughs> and that was Miss Guinans from the Nimbin Hemp Embassy, uh, and we will be hearing more from her about their trip to Canada and the US on next week's program.
Yeah, one of my friends just messaged me a few days ago. He was in Vancouver and contemplating a nice job in one of those dispensaries, which he declined, and it turned out it got raided the, the very next yeah. week. So it, it's very much that similar to what's happening here in Australia with um, medical, medical cannabis. There's that grey market where people are providing a service that the government has kind of said is okay. It's like, yeah, we want to get medicine to sick people, but... We're still going to spank you. Yeah. We're still going to spank you in the meantime until we get it sorted out. Uh, on Wednesday night, activists, AOD sector workers, students, and members of the general public met at the Yarra Hotel in Abbotsford to discuss the drug issues uh, with experts and vote on direct action, including a uh, on a mobile safe injecting facility and uh, drug testing service in the city of Yarra. Speakers at the event were Dr. Monica Barrett of the National Drug and Alcohol Research Centre, Tim Harvey from the directing team at Rainbow Serpent Festival, Melbourne Uni. SSDP Chapter President Nick Kent and SSDP Australia Vice President Ash Blackwell and Yarra Councillor Stephen Jolly. A number of people also added their voice to the evening's discussions, including uh, local residents from the Richmond and Abbotsford area who spoke of their support for a medically supervised injecting centre to address the issue of public injecting and the dangers that come with that uh, in that local area. Councillor Stephen Jolly uh, finished the evening by reading out a declaration which was amended by the attendees and voted on. Then we look at that. The resolution reads as follows. This public meeting acknowledges the great work of all groups and individuals who have been working for drug reform. We note the growing community support for a harm minimisation approach to dealing with drug use. Such an approach would include a trial of a safe injecting facility in the city of Yarra and also legislative change to allow pill testing. We call on the state ALP government to make these changes to the current policy to put these measures in place. We resolve to build a coalition of groups and individuals who support drug reform to campaign for a safe injecting facility and legal pill testing and to use the next 18 months before the state election to maximise pressure on the government. Finally, our strategy will include peaceful direct action if necessary, such as setting up a portable safe injecting and pill testing facility to challenge the current law. Um, is there a second for that motion? All right, second in the lower places. Would anyone like to speak to that very briefly? Or can I just put that out? Okie dokie. Um, I'm going to ask for those in favour, those against, and abstentions. Um, and uh, just put your hand up rather than just shout out. So if you're in favour of this motion, please put your hand up. All right. If you're opposed, That's all of the hands. That is... No, no. I thought we had one. Not one. <laughs> no hands. Unanimous. And you can check out our Facebook page for more information on the event that happened on Wednesday and we will keep you up to date with the ongoing action around pill testing and the medically supervised injecting centre. Yeah, there is actually a live Facebook page uh, live video on the Students for Sensible Drug Policy Facebook page if anyone wants to watch the, the whole event. Um, we kind of recorded it and put it up there. There were Excellent. some really fantastic speeches. I mean, Tim Har obviously yours, Ash, but um, <laughs> Tim Harvey from Rainbow Serpent. I mean, his speech just really resonated yeah. I think it was actually quite hard to follow because it, you know, kind of <laughs> yeah. really, it really hit a soft spot for me. He did certainly cover um, the issues. One more bit of news. Um, this one is, I mean, it's almost tragically hilarious. The tourism minister from the Philippines has urged the media to tone down the coverage of President Rodrigo Duterte's <laughs> deadly drug war, <laughs> complaining that reports on extrajudicial killings were scaring away mm. foreigners. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, like, really? or you could stop killing people. 
there's, yeah, something, there's something they could do on their end there, I think. Um, other um, than the rest of the yeah, so he he accompanied a delegation to Thailand and, um, oh, what do you say? Uh, this is a direct quote. Help us because, you know, it's really difficult for me to sell the Philippines, especially when extrajudicial killings become the topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, mate, yeah. Yeah, there's a deeper problem there than media coverage, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really very tragic what's happening in the Philippines right now. There's several petitions online. I urge you to write to whoever you can, including the Australian um, consulate, the Australian embassy, and just, like, it's it's really out of order there. And this idea that um, the media should stop talking about it is patently absurd. Uh, back home, Liz Smith from local independent media outlet The Unapologist has written a piece on Australia's changing doof culture. Liz looks into the differences between uh, a more mi- mainstream-style party or festival and the counterculture bush doof, which is, uh, has its roots embedded in a psychedelic culture of connection to community and earth. Who is the Fox.com spoke to, young, uh, to a young doofer who had only recently discovered the scene about why she prefers to go to a bush store. If you, if you dance at a house, a house party mm. or like a warehouse party, there's it, always a certain way you can dance. There's always the guy who's like putting his dick up against the girl's <laughs> ass, and then there's the chick who's like rubbing her ass or like slapping her friends, whatever. It's always that style, and I was like, fuck, I don't want to do that. That's from whoisthefox.com. As with many scenes and subcultures, Australia's Bushdorf culture have been dealing with the changing times, especially as the uh, scene receives more mainstream exposure. More promoters and DJs are bringing a more uh, diverse range of tastes and ideas, uh, and also the changing nature of the psychoactive choices of that community. Uh, The article is called uh, Raving Wild, The Appeal of the Bushdorf, available at theunapologists.com. Uh, that's about all I've got for yep. this week, yeah. Well, we've got plenty more coming up in the show. We will be uh, chatting with uh, Penny Hill, who is sitting here with us. That's the other voice that you hear. Um, she has been overseas. You've been in Vienna. Mm-hmm. You've been in Japan. Mm-hmm. You've been in... Where else have you been? I Nepal? Went, uh, no, that was last time. Well, I ended up um, with a couple of spare days. I was supposed to be at a work, a youth drug policy workshop in Budapest that got cancelled at the last minute. Oh, dear. So I went and hired a car and drove manual car which i'm very new to um around the balkans oh lovely <laughs> yeah, and then i and i caught up caught up with a lot of people kind of in the southeast europe drug policy kind of arena did some i went into the offices in belgrade and and heard what they're doing in croatia and things so so we'll be we'll be catching up with uh, penny and hearing more about all of that uh shortly in the program also going to be hearing from dr dean wright from the uh australian psychedelic society about some uh, some psychedelic news um and also ega 2017 we'll be hearing uh from one of the uh one of the speakers at that conference Just close the thing I needed to have open. That's fine. We've got some music for you now. Uh, It is uh, Animatronics. Uh, Animatronics is... uh, a sonic wizard, uh, as as is said of these these people, a sonic wizard. He does magic, uh, real ma- real magic, but um, except not real because it's with you know synthesizers and stuff. So it's got a very scientific basis. It's not magic at all. Uh, anyway, uh, animatronic. <laughs> this is animatronics. Uh, Elisane uh, remix, a remix of the song by Elisane, and it's called Unstable. And that's all, that's what I got for you. This is three CR Community Radio eight five five AM digital and streaming at three crorgau
reduction refers to policies, programs, and practices that aim primarily to reduce the adverse health, social, and economic consequences of the use of legal and illegal psychoactive drugs without necessarily reducing drug consumption. Harm reduction benefits people who use drugs, their families, and the community. If you want to know more about harm reduction in Victoria, head to hrvic.org.au. Harm Reduction Victoria is a non-profit, user-based and user-governed organisation which aims to educate, inform, support and advocate for people who use drugs, their friends, families and broader community. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say it's okay. You are just being killed for trespassing. Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch. They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. Who does the killing? The company has uh, specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call 9419 8377. City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at the website 3cr.org.au. You're listening to In Psychedelia, uh, where we're uh, talking all things uh, drug issues. And right now we're focusing on um, psychedelic issues and specifically psychedelic science with our uh, resident doctor, Dr. Dean Wright from the Australian Psychedelic Society. Dean, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you going? Also well. Um, so what's the latest in psychedelic science? What's been well, there's always lots of exciting things coming out, but I've decided this week uh, that, to talk about using ketamine for treating depression. Excellent. So this has been something that's been going on for a while now. I think the first study came out back in the year 2000, and then the first randomised control trial was in 2006, and they showed very, very promising results. Um, basically, they show that ketamine, after a single IV infusion of a dose roughly what a partygoer would take um, actually leads to immediate cessation of depression symptoms. And this is a transient uh, effect which lasts for about one week thereafter. So, uh, it's the, the one thing that, have, that has come out recently is that this is the latest fad with depression, basically, is using ketamine to treat depression. Uh, it's a different mechanism to what we're used to. We're used to looking at serotonin and monoamine systems like norepinephrine and dopamine. Um, so this one is looking at glutamate, which is a different neurotransmitter to what we normally look at with depression, and it works really quick. It works instantly, unlike other uh, antidepressants, which take up to two or three weeks to get started. So this is why it's been um, hailed as like the new uh, big wonder drug for depression. But there hasn't been enough studies yet, and 
that needs to be approached with a bit more caution than that. So this is where the latest papers have starting to address some of these issues, and I thought maybe this is a good uh, time to start addressing them in the public as well. So what are some of the uh, issues? So basically, um, what we see is that ketamine has been used in these studies only within certain types of patients, first of all. So they've been used with treatment-resistant patients. Um, so these are patients that haven't responded to other types of medication or other treatments, and they get a single infusion um, you see a, an immediate drastic reduction in depression symptoms. This lasts for about one week. But there hasn't been many studies which have looked at large populations of people, um, and there haven't been many studies that look at the long-term effects either. So the one thing that has been done in terms of uh, the longest study was they did two infusions per week, so two doses of ketamine per week for four weeks. And they found that at this mild dose that this was able to maintain the antidepressant effect for four weeks uh, with no major after effects. But none of these studies have done any follow-ups. So we're unsure of what the, uh, the long-term effects of these are. So some of the things that were really discussed that are an issue with these studies um, and the issue with, uh, that's coming up now is that a lot of doctors are starting to use this as an off-label uh, uh, treatment for depression in, in a lot of people. And um, we're not sure if they're being screened appropriately uh, for other things that could affect uh, what the drug is doing. So uh, the first thing that you'd have to take into consideration is do they have any psychotic symptoms? Because ketamine and other dissociative drugs uh, can actually be used as psychotomimetics, so something that mim uh, mimics a psychosis-like state and could actually set off a psychosis state. Um, the research hasn't been done, so we're not sure if that's true or not, but it's a, something that needs to be done before uh, considering treating those patients. Um, and also, a big concern of mine was that I've actually talked to a lot of people in the community, and I've heard of people uh, seeking to self-administer ketamine uh, to treat depression. And they were sort of using this as a first-line treatment. I'm like, well, I, I, I think the, the first-line treatment for any sort of depression would be to go see a psychologist and try exercising and meditating and all the things that we know definitely do help. Mm. Um, so I figured it's good to put this out as a bit of harm reduction notice as well. So if there's any psychotic symptoms in the depression, I wouldn't recommend trying ketamine, first of all. If the person has any history of drug abuse, then I would also not recommend ketamine because if you're combining someone who's in a depressed state and then giving them a drug that's going to pull them out of that depressed state, this drug is also has the potential to be a drug of abuse as well and has been shown, you know, widely in the UK as well that many people are addicted, have been addicted to ketamine. Maybe that's... Um, so that, that Sorry, could, I was going to say, that could be one of the effects of uh, widely uh, publicised uh, health benefits or, or potential health uh, benefits uh, of various... Um, various drugs that uh, people who sort of might already be using those as sort of a party drug might sort of use that as, oh, no, I'm sort of helping my depression with it when... Well, I suppose people just need to be honest about what their intention with a substance is. And if they yeah. really want to be helping depression, then as you say, the first, you know, first point of call is a psychologist and do all those basic things. They're eating right, they're exercising, they're sleeping. These these things come come first, and then if it's still difficult down the track, then there are these uh, uh, these new treatments that are coming online. 
but it's still, mm, you know, it's still... Something that I'm curious about from the, the sort of uh, neuropharmacological neuropharmacolo- perspective, um, is there any um, understanding of why it might have that residual effect for like a week long afterwards? Mm, that is interesting. Um, so the studies that have been done so far from a neuroscience perspective are only in animals, but what they've shown is that there's a cha- there is actually a change in what they call the mTOR pathway. So I won't go into too much detail about, about what that is, but it's actually changing um, your frontal cortex, which is the area of your brain which is uh, regulating cognition and metacognition or your executive function. So that's your ability to monitor your own thoughts, so your ability to think about your own thoughts. And this is something that in depression we know is, is really reduced. You know, as someone who's depressed, they have almost the inability to stop themselves from thinking negative thoughts. They have this, like, really strong ruminations that occur. And when you give someone ketamine, instantly their ruminations stop. They're able to be in the present moment. They're able to stop thinking negative thoughts about the future and about the past and about themselves. And they're able to just be and go about their lives. So it changed, the studies that have been done in animals have shown that they actually changed the neurochemistry uh, in the frontal cortex that regulates this metacognitive um, capacity, and it does so by sort of increasing um, the connections between neurons in this area. Um, but there's still a lot of research to come out about exactly what's happening with this mechanism. So has any of the studies um, sort of combined it with like a, a psychotherapy practice, like cognitive behavioral therapy to try and like, I guess, lock in those kind of um, improvements? No, you would think that that would be a, a priority study, wouldn't you? But there hasn't actually been any studies doing that yet. Okay. Um, so that's, that's exactly why you would be seeing, you know, this transient effect, which lasts for only one week, because if they're not going ahead to change the behaviours and thought patterns which are leading to their depression, then, of course, they're not going to be able to ameliorate, ameliorate their depression for the long term. Right. So this is the kind of model that's been trialled with the MDMA psychotherapy where it's actually used uh, as an adjunct to psychotherapy. Mm, exactly. So that's why the MDMA treatment is so useful as well because, you know, they've actually gone in uh, trying to change the thought patterns and behaviours which are dysfunctional. Uh, this... Ketamine just temporarily removes the dysfunctional thought, it, but it's not a cure. Ketamine will not be a cure in any way because what you have to do with depression is not just remove the negative thoughts for a short period of time, but you have to actually change the types of thoughts that you're having, change the way you're thinking about the world, change the way you're thinking about yourself. And to do this, you would actually need therapy. You would actually need to deal with your, your problems that are causing the depression. So that's the one downside with ketamine is that you could possibly, if you took it once a week, um, you could maintain not having those negative thought patterns. But the way ketamine is, like many other drugs, you very quickly develop a tolerance. Um, in fact, there's this case study that I just read today about this nurse who, who started she started stealing ketamine from the shelves at work uh, to treat her own depression. And she started once a week with a dose of 50 milligrams. And very quickly, over a period of months she had to stepwise increase her dose until she was taking two grams of ketamine a day at mm-hmm. the end of that six months mm-hmm. and and then that then not only does this uh, lead to many it can lead to many physical problems such as cystitis in the bladder um, but it also is affecting your brain in ways unknown and 
when you finally do come off this drug, you then have to go through withdrawal symptoms, you have to go through the psychological withdrawal of not having the drug to rely on anymore, and then she was uh, rebounded straight back into her depression. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital, streaming at 3cr.org.au. This is in Psychedelia, and right now we are speaking with Dr Dean Wright uh, from the Australian Psychedelic Society about um, some psychedelic science that's been going on. We've been hearing about ketamine. Uh, what what else is new in uh, psychedelic science, Dean? Uh, so what else have we been hearing recently? There's just been a lot of talk about um, what's been going on with MDMA. Uh, I saw a really interesting one today, actually, a study that, was done in New Zealand, which was looking at using MDMA to treat tinnitus. Mm. Um, I thought that was interesting because I was going to bring that one up. <laughs> tinnitus seems to be uh, surrounded with MDMA use. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, other than that, there was a few studies that have been coming out about uh, one of the ingredients of ayahuasca. So this is harmine. Um, this is the one that helps uh, break down, stop DNT from breaking down in your gut so then it can make it to your brain. So instead of looking at DMT as a therapeutic drug, which is a psychoactive drug, they started looking at harmine, which is the other part of ayahuasca, um, because it has a very similar action as many antidepressants. And a lot of studies are starting to come out showing that uh, in cell culture, they're actually starting to... These these chemicals are actually starting to increase um, neurogenesis and the new production of neurons. But... Still very early studies because they're being done in cell culture. So not nothing in humans or animals yet for that study. And uh, any any more uh, psychedelic science for us, or we've got um, we've got some more things to chat about in just a tick. But uh, are there any final stories for us, Dean? Um, no, I, I think just some, I'd like to summarise what I just said with the ketamine because I think I, I, it sounded like I was taking a really negative stance on ketamine, but. I think ketamine is an amazing drug for treating depression. Nothing else is out there that is able to stop someone instantly ruminating and has negative thoughts. So someone who might be suicidal, you give them ketamine, within an hour they're not suicidal or even depressed. And so that's an amazing tool. But what needs to happen is it needs to be regulated and given to the right people so it doesn't cause more harm, doesn't lead to addiction, and they're getting concomitant treatment that's going to change the negative patterns so they're not relying on ketamine in the future to remove those patterns. Thank you very much for that, uh, Dr. Dean. And stick around because we are going to be hearing some uh, news uh, from the Australian Psychedelic Society and about some events that are coming up uh, in just a tick. Uh, But before that... In the psychology of religion, mysticism is a clump of very, uh, or a clump or several clump of very similar types of experience. There's all sorts of argument over exactly what composes a mystical experience. But we'll be talking about this. And you notice in this quotation, it says, isn't religion above all, before its doctrine and morality, rights and institutions? Now what we're going to be looking at is how psychedelics are influencing doctrine, morality, rights and institutions. So let's move on and take a look of, a bit at um, at this the theme. The theme of this, this talk is basically primary religious experience, which is I call various things: state of unical, unitive consciousness, mystical experience, peak experience, and so on. It's basically the taproot of religion, although it's an often neglected taproot. 
And what comes out of that is that beliefs, when they're based on primary religious experience, kind of makes sense to answer the question, what was that? What does that mean? That meaning the mystical experience or the primary religious experience. Rituals then attempt to create and celebrate and commemorate primary religious experience. Ethics then express the primary experience in terms of oneness, love, gratitude. So the source of morality comes from the mystical experience, not from what we're taught in texts or from church or for parents. And finally, there are organizations that basically house all these activities. Now, I'm not saying that this is the only origin religion, but this is a tributary into the flow of religion that is neglected, but thanks to psychedelics, that neglect is sort of disappearing. That was Tom Roberts, Professor of Educational Psychology at Northern Illinois University. Professor Roberts has been teaching courses on transpersonal uh, mind-body, psychedelic and consciousness topics since the 1970s. He is among a collection of headliners for this year's, uh, for this December's EGA, Entheogenesis Australis Psychedelic Symposium. Tickets are on sale now, and you can find out more information about the EGA con- uh, 2017 conference at entheo.net. That's E-N-T-H-E-O dot net. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM digital, and streaming at 3cr.org.au. You're listening to In Psychedelia, and we have uh, Dean Wright uh, still on the line with us, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Australian Psychedelic Society, a relatively new organisation, but um, uh, tell us about what's been going on with the Australian Psychedelic Society and uh, what's what's planned for the near future. Well, as Nick would also know, being uh, closely involved with the Australian Psychedelic Society, there's been a lot going on recently and it's a quite exciting time. So uh, there was the first uh, monthly meeting came uh, not long after our um, launch at Rainbow Serpent Festival and now we're looking to the future and we're looking to continue hosting more events and the next one we have up is in celebration of uh, one of our favourite days and that's Bicycle Day. So Bicycle Day obviously is um, celebrating the day uh, in which LSD was first discovered on that uh, magical uh, bike ride home uh, from Albert Hoffman and now we have Uh, In celebration of this day, we're going to be screening um, a documentary that's recently come out called The Sunshine Makers. Um, And that's going to be in Brunswick on April the 19th uh, in the evening from 6pm onwards. Um, There will also be some speakers there to introduce. Um, It looks like Greg Greg Kasarik will also be there. Yes, yes. Uh, Is that true? Yeah, uh, Greg, Greg has agreed to uh, come along. So, Greg, just just quickly, he's the one that uh, was arrested uh, last at last year's Bicycle Day uh, for the possession of LST on the steps of Parliament. He has um, also uh, been a long protester for uh, his what he sees as his right to use psychedelic substances for um, for his uh, personal, um, basically religious purposes. Um, and he was in court recently where he was rearrested after they wanted to throw his case out so uh and he felt that that wasn't justice done so he uh, produced a vial of lsd in the victorian magistrate's court and was promptly arrested again he's going to be uh, having a chat with us because his court date is actually the day after bicycle day this year oh wow really? yeah. yeah 420 day <laughs> on the cannabis day yeah so he'll be heading off to court the day after uh chatting with us uh on bicycle day 
Interesting. Ah, very, very interesting. It'll be nice to hear his story. Yeah, I think so if anyone a... yeah, wants to hear more of the details about Greg's story, they need to come along and have a chat as well. So, uh, details, where, where do people go for more information about the Australian Psychedelic Society? So, an event will be put up uh, early this week uh, on the Facebook page. We'll also put an event up on the website. So, uh, whatever you prefer. So, the, the Facebook page will be under Australian Psychedelic Society. Uh, and the web page is psychedelicsociety.com.au. Uh, and that'll have all the details about the event, uh, what, the, what, what where the venue is, what the cost is. So it's only $10 if you bring your own bicycle. Um, and from what I've heard about this documentary, it is going to be quite entertaining and amazing. Telling the story of some of the biggest LSD producers from the 1960s, what their intention was and uh, what happened as part of their clandestine lab. Uh, we look forward to it and we will be uh, keeping you updated uh, via the Encyclopedia page as well. Uh, but do check out Australian Psychedelic Society on Facebook, on Twitter, um, and also the website. Uh, Dr. Dean Wright, thank you very much for joining us on Encyclopedia today, uh, keeping us up to date with psychedelic science and what's going on with the Australian Psychedelic Society. Thank you. Dr. Dean Wright, uh, who uh, received his PhD in neuroscience from um, Melbourne University um, and is keenly passionate about psychedelics being taken seriously and uh, hopefully um, seeing some progress in the area, especially around uh, policy in the future. Ash, you look like you've got something on your mind. Oh, nothing, nothing pressing. <laughs> was, I, was, I, was I staring too intently? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> uh, we are going to be catching up with uh, Penny Hill, president of Students for Sensible Drug Policy and uh, global jet setter. Um, I think uh, what, we've known each other for a uh, year and a half, two years. Yeah, I can't remember how long now. And about in that time, I think you've been months. to about 16 countries. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> lost, lost a bit of count. But, um, yeah, I'll be kind of updating on the recent United Nations session um, on the Commission of Narcotic Drugs that just happened last week. I've just returned home from... Um, are we doing it now? Are we taking a break? Or we'll, we we'll, um, we'll have a chat in just a sec, uh, okay. <laughs> in just a sec on 3CR. <laughs> Get a healthy dose of anti-nuclear, peace and sustainability issues on The Radioactive Show. 10am Saturdays on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. And also podcast and web streamed on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. The Radioactive Show, where every bit of exposure makes you stronger. Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. 
3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. This is in Psychedelia. We are talking uh, uh, now with Penny Hill, um, President of SSDP Australia. Hello. Um, and also many, many other roles, um, including what was the most recent one that you added to your feathered cap of roles? Um, I am the Oceania representative for the strategy subcommittee of the International Drug Policy <laughs> Consortium. It's, it's definitely the longest, the, lo- <laughs> the longest role, like longest title that I have now. I didn't think they could get that long. But um, yeah, so Was, I, I basically coordinate. So the International Drug Policy Consortium is a consortium of NGOs predominantly that uh, work for drug law reform. Um, so there's a strategy subcommittee kind of working out what the kind of plan of action is and there is representatives on the committee from each region, so Asia, Oceania, Africa, you know, etc. and also for key affected popula- populations like people who use drugs. And this, um, for this farmers. committee, this committee yeah. was one of the ones that you travelled recently for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So but through my involvement in that, they actually, we hold our... We have, you know, meetings every so often online because we're all in different countries, but we have one meeting a year um, in person and that's held at CND to get everybody there. So anyone that... So CND for those that aren't up to date with their yes. uh, <laughs> drug so C&D, policy acronyms. Yeah. CND, there's a. <laughs> I, we, just we, wrote, I just wrote out my paragraph of things to say here, and it's all bloody acronyms. Yeah, so it's going to take I, me a lot longer need to than like I have a whole, whole uh, thing <laughs> somewhere for just breaking apart drug drug policy acronyms. But yeah, yeah continue CND. So the CND is the commission, the UN um, Office of Drugs and Crime Commission on Narcotic Drugs. So this session gets held every year in March in Vienna. Austria. Uh, if you are a regular listener, you might remember that I was there last year and um, it occurs yeah, every March and in the last kind of few years there's been much more involvement of civil society. Pre- predominantly it's obviously um, government delegations that are there discussing. It's basically the UN kind of place to talk about drugs and it's where they schedule substances and um also you know write resolutions on drug drug control and and anything to do with drugs basically happens at this session every year in march so so you've just been there so i've just been there so the kind of major topic for this year if you will remember the ungas another acronym ungas ungas session last year which is the un general assembly special Segment session, session, session. session. <laughs> yeah. um, which was held in New York last year as a kind of I don't want to say emergency session, but a, a you know a quick session to kind of discuss the world drug problem because it was called by countries uh, Mexico, Guatemala, and Colombia, maybe possibly yeah. um, that that were kind of like hang on we we've, we've got some really big issues at the moment we really need to open up the discussion in 2016 rather than 2019 which is the year that the UN drug conventions get opened the UN drug conventions open every 10 years so 1999 2009 2019 but they called for the session to happen early this uh, early last year so the ba- basically the the major consideration in CND this year was the implementation of the document that came, you know, the outcome document of the Young Gas session in New York. Um, There was a lot of countries who would prefer to go back to the 2009 political declaration and plan plan of action on drugs rather than accept the 2016 outcome document. What are the differences between the two documents? 
basically, I don't know, to summarise, 2016 document is a lot more um, progressive. It was the first kind of official document where human rights has been mentioned in UN Office of Drugs and Crime documents. Um, it mentions harm reduction a few times. That's kind of a bad term in in the UNODC. There's there's a lot of argument. Is. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of argument around the, the use of the term harm reduction. There's a lot of countries that don't believe in harm reduction. Um, we all know if you listen to this show semi-regularly, you know how important harm reduction is. It's, harm reduction is basically health promotion of kind of reducing risk around drugs. Well, it's not even health, but it's just reducing risk. Because I, I kind of sort of think of seatbelts and bicycle helmets as sort of harm reduction. Yeah, so there's <laughs> a lot of countries I probably shouldn't name, but you could... Oh, you could find out about, about Russia quickly. We can name yeah, Russia. Let's China. name them China, Russia. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, that, that don't believe in harm reduction and don't think it should be referenced in UN documents. So, um, Is this because they believe that it's a slippery slope towards more permissive attitudes? I've got no bloody idea what they believe mm, right okay. <laughs> um, But, yeah, so basically the major topic of this year um, was kind of talking about implementing that, that document from 2016 that was maybe too progressive by some countries' terms, and they kind of stood up and opened by, oh, we should keep addressing the tw- 2009 document until 2019 and kind of pretend UNGAS didn't happen. Right. Um, so there was a lot of discussion about that, and it was actually resolution number nine. There was about 12 resolutions this year. And it was c- quite interesting because they actually discussed and debated this resolution before the session opened, so a lot of countries missed out. They did it the week before. For example, Australia was not there the week before, mm. our delegation. So they kind of summed up the whole thing the week before and discussed it and kind of said, all right, you just kind of need to sign it off and we'll bring it up, but it's already kind of done. We're, we're going, but, but, but it, it is to implement the 2016 document. Yeah, right. Um, I think that was a bit of a move by the um, chair of the CND to, to get things going. There's a lot of strategy going there. As I said, I'm part of a strategy subcommittee in drug drug policy and there's a lot going so, and on And this at is the moment. international but diplomacy the UN as well. Which Office <laughs> of Drugs and Crime kind yeah. of thing. So um, th- that's pretty good because now countries can't say, oh, well, in respect to the 2009 document, we're going to do this. Now they have to, you know, it's officially been adopted as the official document. Um, so, and then obviously um, there's been a lot of discussion about what's going to happen in 2019 now that we've kind of already got this document and a lot of, I know a lot of NGOs and a lot of kind of people are, are saying, well, not much will happen in 2019, even though it's the only opportunity where the drug conventions are reopened. For So something will happen. So then a lot of the planning w- that was happening was around what will happen in 2019. Will it be held at the UN headquarters in New York? Will it be held in Vienna where the UN Office of Drugs and Crime is? Um, it's basically been decided it will be ho- held in Vienna, which is... Um, I don't know to say whether that's good or bad. It um, won't get as much attention not being at the UN headquarters. There's only mm. 54 countries that are, are members of the UNODC as opposed to the 200 or so that are members of UN headquarters. So, that, you know, it won't reach a lot of countries. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean, I I haven't even gone past the first sentence on my sheet, so right. well, I'm you, not going to be able to mention everything that I it. wanted I think, to. I think we need to um uh, we need to set aside maybe a, a lot a lot more time to really delve into this because it is it is quite detailed. Um, and Penny, you're you're involved with some pretty um detailed work now as well, so we do need to. Uh, I, I, I think for me, one of the big questions is um how are, how are the UN dealing with the the legalization movements that's happening we've got the united states like over half of the states have some form of legal marijuana canada's moving in that direction so, quick answer i know we need a quick yeah, answer yeah, yeah. um basically canada will be um not upholding the drug conventions by decrim or legalization the u.s is fine because they do it by states the united states signs you know is a member of the unodc not Colorado, but, not California, not Victoria, not so New are they South one Wales. Country or are they many but countries? Canada, but Canada this will, is, in effect, isn't, isn't that some be, kind of like jurisdictional wrangling, wrangling there? Like, yeah, oh no, we're not Colorado, but we represent Colorado because they're part of the United States. The United States has got some real uh, questionable so, yeah. diplomatic in, processes. In UN but, terms, Colorado can do what it wants, but right. the United States is. Well, then Bound Victoria by, can do what we want. Let's legalise cannabis, uh, Dr... Sorry, Mr. Daniel Andrews. Why did... Somebody called him doctor the other day and now it's stuck in my head. Um, we need to uh, quickly go to events because we're nearly out of time. Uh, events, Ash. Yeah, I can come back okay. and talk. Yeah, yeah, I think we could get you to talk for <laughs> yeah. quite a long time, Penny. There's a lot I thought, going I on. ten minutes would be enough. Um, <laughs> sorry. So, so next week has been marked by um, some international collaborators as International Drug Checking Celebration Day. And... Uh, a group of different organizations, including SSDP and Psychedelia, um, Yarra Drug and Health Forum, Family Drug Support, DanceWise, uh, Harm Reduction Victoria, have all gathered to put on an event next Friday evening on the 31st. And we'll be gathering uh, from 4.30 at Federation Square and then handing out some flyers and that kind of thing to promote drug checking to the broader community and then heading down to the Steps of Parliament House for some speeches and, you know, a bit of a celebration. Uh, this is not a protest. It's a celebration. So bring your kind of happy hat rather yep. than your angry hat. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and we'll be down there next Friday evening. So... And uh, as always, if you want any more information about anything on the program, our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter is where to find us. Uh, also, our website is psychedelia.org, but you can find that at the 3CR website. Do get in touch with us if you want to know anything more. Queering There is up next, and we do hope you enjoy your Sunday afternoon. I'm still drying off from this bloody sweat. Gross. <laughs> this is Psychedelia. <laughs> Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website. 3cr.org.au and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. And Psychedelia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. You've been listening to a 3CR community radio podcast of Encyclopedia. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.